Once upon a time, there were tens of thousands of makers struggling. Every day they built for hours and hours but didn't ship and didn't earn enough income. One day, the No Code Wealth podcast came to help them find the way. Because of this, makers became founders and lived the lives they deserve. Because of that, founders live lives of abundance, freedom, and creativity. That's what I'm really all about. Hello, my name is Aziz, and from being a poor boy born to a single mother in North Africa with no opportunities, just sheer hard work to failing multiple startups, yet learning a whole lot to barely escaping alive the war in Ukraine, even living as an illegal immigrant, I've lost everything twice. And now I'm rebuilding my life one more time, 1% a day, sharing the wisdom of luminaries I've interviewed on this podcast from Google executives, Goldman Sachs, The Financial Times, Amazon, Forbes Technology Council, World Economic Forum, the United Nations, Harvard University, and even a priest from the Vatican Church. Everyone is welcome here. So let's begin. My guest today is Terence Bennett. Terence is the general manager at Dream Factory, an API code automation platform designed for no code. It generates APIs on nearly any database with no code whatsoever. Terence is a former naval intelligence officer and a member of Google's red team. He loves the no code space and wants to contribute to its growth and evolution. Terence, how are you today? Hi, Aziz. I'm, I'm doing really great. Thanks for having me. I'm happy. I'm honored. I'm lucky to have you here and very curious about you as a person. So I'll begin with this question. Why no code? What's most interesting to you about it? Why do you love it? I guess as someone who's part of Google's uh, red team, you have the ability to code. So what attracted you to it? What potential do you see? Well, it's a great question. No code gives um, gives both the non-technical but also technical people the ability to to move really quickly. Why set up uh, an entire environment, programming environment, and and frameworks and and everything else necessary within a traditional coding environment if you can complete a task with um, with a simple no code tool? So, you know, it's a it's a a tool that's democratizing democratizing technology for. For everyone, and for those of us um, who might be a little more technical, uh, it actually is allowing us to move a lot faster and to and to use our creative skills in new and different ways instead of uh, in the sort of traditional uh, in traditional ways that tech forces you to around you know solving simple problems before you can solve more more advanced problems. I love that. I agree. When it comes to value, it's about the problem being solved, not how you do it. And if you can do it faster, you can solve more problems and if there is something that the world has too much of, is too much problems, too many problems, and we need more people able to solve more. And just to discuss Dream Factory, Dream Factory, what does it add to the no-code space that wasn't found there? Why should people from no-code get excited? What vision did you have and your team? 
Well, Dream Factory uh, gives customers access to an enterprise-grade API with no code. And we actually like to refer to it as uh, code optional, or, or but I guess I guess low code would probably be the more appropriate term. Um, you can set up a an API against uh, over twenty five different data sources, um, and 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 create it, and you're off and running. And built into the platform, we have all the necessary security tools to do it responsibly, right? So we've got role based access and API key management, rate limiting, logging, uh, full documentation, and it's all done automatically. Um, so if you're if you're at um, you know maybe a medium sized or enterprise business and you can't take the risks of exposing company data uh, without all of these other security features, Dream Factory allows you to as I like to say have your cake and eat it too. You can you can use a no code platform and get into production in seconds while also doing it incredibly responsibly, and so. Um, it, it's bringing no code to an even broader audience because I think traditionally no code has meant sort of MVP. It's meant kind of stripped down. It meant, it's meant less features. And often that means sacrificing on security. And as uh, as a former member of Red Team, and, and I'm incredibly security conscious, I'm a CISSP certified. Um, it's really exciting to me to, to be able to bring this this tool to market and um and give give folks both access to no code while doing it in a way that's uh, responsible. Thank you, and it's amazing the evolution of the whole space in no code and code optional, as you mentioned, uh, or low code. And just to be specific, yes, no code has been all about MVPs for a long time. You spoke about mid-sized and large-sized companies finding a lot of value in Dream Factory. Can you talk about a few use cases, a few examples of the right individuals or people or teams who will get the most value from Dream Factory compared to doing it in other ways? Absolutely. Um, one of my favorite case studies is actually a government agency, which was given the opportunity to, to find a solution. Um, they didn't want to have to rip out everything and, and start over. And so their um, director of IT understood that there might be some solutions in the no-code space that could that could solve this problem. They have a 1972 IBM S370, which is a like one of the old traditional green screen IBMs that you see in like black and white photos, and they were able to connect it with Dream Factory, um, mobilize that data, combine it with an Oracle database data set, and stream that all via API to a front-facing, customer-facing web application. Um, to, to allow for um, essentially customer access to DMB records, registration, and, and what you'd expect your state government being able to do. And so in this case, they're able to, um, to save massive amounts of money, use a system that frankly might be ancient, but works and does the job. And, um, and sort of like I have to say, sort of have their cake and eat it too, right? Like you don't have to always rip everything out to do modernization. You can, you can use no-code tools to, um, to bridge that gap. Another another use case we have is is much more modern, and it's a snowflake. We had a customer come in, and they wanted to um, mobilize data out of their data analytics warehouse and serve it into a no-code tool. Um, it's a relatively well-known low-code um, application platform, and this uh, this snowflake instance was um, they needed to be able to read and write to it. And Snowfl- Snowflake's uh, generic API can only read from Snowflake. And so, using Dream Factory w- with Snowflake, they're able to get that rewrite capability 
And now they can get all the benefits of Snowflake and all the data and all the insight that's there into this no-code tool to accelerate their business and, and do great things. That sounds absolutely wonderful. And since you're on the cutting edge of the no-code space, where do you see the future going? Or at least, what are your plans for the next year or so, as well as newer technologies like AI and ChatGPT has taken the world by storm and it does a lot of work in uh, programming, factoring, refactoring? Is it something that could be integrated or will be integrated into something like Dream Factory, or do you see it as a potential competitor? Um, great question, and it's a little bit of both. Uh, honestly, we've already been playing around with how to um, how to generate scripts with ChatGPT um, and and put them right into into Dream Factory scripting engine. So I didn't mention this earlier, but we have a scripting engine that allows customers to do um, any number of sort of simple transformations or even more robust um, work within Dream Factory. And so it could be everything from um, credit card obfuscation to more robust joins and other things. Um, we were, were playing around, my team and I were playing around with asking ChatGPT to, to write quite specific scripts, you know, it's all in Python, uh, which it did. Python is such a well-documented library. I think it's one of the better scripting engines within ChatGPT. And they were they were darn close to uh, ready for production. But once again, that's not, that's not really no code. I guess you could argue it's low code depending on the on the um, the knowledge of the of the writer, but we also started playing around with ChatGPT to actually write APIs, and we were blown away by how close it got to uh, to to something that's kind of ready for game time. Um, the challenge is with all um, I think coding is is building the environment, setting up the environment, and all the sort of dependencies around just the code. Right, as we know, coding is a lot more than just you know writing those those hundred lines or whatever 300 lines of code to do what you want it's everything else sort of around it and so i think that's what's going to be really incredible to see is we're going to see this combination of of no code tools um combined with um ai that allows for for much much more rapid customization and flexibility of um of coding so right now no code tools are built quite quite sort of purpose specific right and i think ai is going to give us the ability to quickly generate environments like a traditional sort of coding environment but with no code tools and then on top of that layer on almost like building blocks of no code functionality um, via AI and so you're going to start to see the no code space kind of um, break apart and and you're going to see a lot more it's going to be a little bit of much more of a kind of create your own create your own adventure type no code um, development versus right now what is you know, you have to kind of find like the, the purpose-built tool for what you're trying to do. Yes, we live in interesting times and I guess the whole world or life in general and moving into virtual reality will become choose your own adventure kind of being. And speaking of adventure, you had a very interesting background, a story that is closer to adventure than not. Can you share your life journey, what happened to you, some of the lessons maybe that made you who you are today, and how all that culminated in you being the general manager at Dream Factory? Uh, sure. Um, so I started my career, um, as you mentioned, in the United States Navy. 
I started on a ship. I was a, a gunnery officer, an auxiliaries officer on a, a destroyer out of Pearl Harbor, um, deployed out to um, the Persian Gulf and, and spent some time off the coast of Iraq. Um, after about two years, I decided I wanted to move into intelligence work because I've always been deeply fascinated by people and understanding people and cultures. And I think great intelligence is actually has the ability to um, to diffuse conflict before before it sort of sets off into uh, actual combat. Um, and uh, and so I, I actually joined uh, joined the intelligence community within the Navy and ended up in IT. So, you know, I, I'd been very interested in computers and, and built my own computers and was into gaming as a kid, dabbled in programming as a young, um, in high school, but it, w- it didn't really fit with my, with my, the way I think um, and my strengths. And so I revi- I sort of revisited that strength. And what I found was with time and, and I guess some um, like kind of traditional education and systems, specifically like engineering systems, I found that I really loved um, more traditional IT. And with that, I sort of built on these, these coding and scripting skills. Um, I decided I was, I was ready for a new adventure and I left the Navy and I looked around and there weren't a ton of opportunities for a Navy veteran in technology. Um, and so I applied to Google and they said no, as many people probably are familiar with. And, but then I got a call back from a recruiter um, who, who worked with executive assistants, what they call administrative business partners. And um, she said, hey, I see you've got some administrative support experience, which I did. Uh, would you be interested in joining Google as an administrative business partner? And so I, I took the opportunity and I was really fortunate. I found an incredible manager who, um, who took me into his organization. We, um, we grew it from, I think, seven product, um, product managers to over 30 in a matter of two years. And, um, and it was actually in that role I started playing with Google Apps Script. And I started coding again. Google Apps Script is sort of like a hybrid JavaScript. And I started automating parts of my role as an admin, <clears throat> building uh, websites with, with automated uh, templates within them that allow people to sort of book their own conference rooms and do all sorts of stuff that was re- required manual work before. And, um, and it was my manager, Dominic, who'd said, hey, I think Terrence, you're, uh, let's find something else for you. And so he helped me find a role as a uh, program manager on Google's red team, which I did for another two years. And I, and I love that work. And I you know, gained more, more technical experience. And I was able to apply a lot of my background in intelligence work to the, uh, the planning and, and execution of these red team exercises, trying to make them as realistic and, and um, help them sort of simulate what, um, what Google might actually see in the real world. And after two years, two years on that role, I, I once again was sort of getting a little bit um, cagey and I was ready for something else. Um, and so I found this opportunity within Xenon Partners to actually at first sort of be a second in command of a company and then ultimately run a company. So I started with a, a small password manager called Team Password. I, I helped run that for six months. And then I stepped into this role at, um, at, a, at a sort of hybrid company, Integrates IO and Dream Factory. And so it's been an incredible opportunity to, uh, to lead teams again. I really enjoyed being a leader in the Navy. And to me, that's sort of what life's all about is people and working with people and trying to, trying to help them meet their goals and, um, and, and complete you know, a, a larger mission together. Uh, and I'm, I'm having an absolute blast with, uh, with Dream Factory and, and really kind of deeply understanding those, the use cases and where there's um, just su- such tremendous value. And, Thank you. That's such a diverse profile. And I love how 
everything was bringing you back to IT and now to no code, but I want to focus on something. You spoke about your love for people. A lot of people within the no-code space, they spend so much time just either building or the focus on the product, etc. And they seem to not find time for networking, which can open new opportunities for them. I spoke to someone who does a lot of networking and he said, you should spend 100% of your time on your product and 100% on networking. I don't know how that can work. But to you, how do you see it? How do you approach connecting with people, of course, with goodwill and goodness in order to have more impact in this world, in order to build a community, in order to find new opportunities? How much time should people uh, who are using no-code tools and low-code tools spend improving, fixing, doing things that make their product better versus meeting other people, finding the right people and networking. So networking is sort of a dirty word, right? Um, I think a lot of people say things like, I don't I don't like networking. I, I, I don't like doing networking. I don't like going to networking events. And, and I think that's sort of a myopic way of, of looking at it. Networking is is uh, is sort of this like term of art we've thrown on what is what it means to be human, right? Like we humans, we um, we like to to find each other, to communicate, to share stories, and and share our passions, and sh- share our loves, and share our tragedies. Uh, and like to me, like networking is is just people being people. Um, I think when you put on this facade of I'm 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 trying to meet people to see what's in it for me. You end up in this in this sort of place where um, it gets kind of you know uh, unpleasant, right? But but that's not what networking is, right? Like networking is about finding other people who have the same passions and interests as you, and and connecting them over that, and and finding shared and, and common goals. You know, a little bit more about me. I'm I'm dyslexic, and I think it's part of the reason why coding early on in my career was really challenging because it was hard to kind of keep it all straight, right? But for me, part of being dyslexic means I'm, I love people and I love um, understanding people and working with people. And um, it's become a real strength of mine, I guess, to, uh, you know, my, my interpersonal skills, I guess you could say. And so like, you know, networking is just like what I do all the time because that's who I am. And when I have an idea, I need to go find people and talk to people about it and, 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 Ask them what what they think and what they would do and how they would approach a problem, um, and you could call that networking. I think for me, that's just sort of being human. But but I also have like a very sort of specific kind of neuro profile, and for me, like being around people and communicating via you know it, whether in person or via Zoom or whatever is like a really important part of the way I I experience the world. And, and for some people, that's not the case, right? A lot of people, you know, maybe more sort of traditional introverts, right? They um, they, they need to find their own rhythm and their own way of quote unquote networking and, and sort of exploring the world. And so there's no one size fits all. Um, Aziz, I imagine you're probably also an extrovert, right? So for us, like this only feels natural, whereas for a lot of people it would be terrifying. And so I, I, I would encourage anyone who thinks that they need to network to take a step back and ask, you know, how do you experience the world? How do you share with, with people and, and how can you get, how do you in, you in your most natural state feel fulfilled from being around people and do more of that, 
right? Whatever that looks like, whether that's um, local meetups around specific things that you love doing or, or whether that's going on podcasts, right? Uh, I think it's just deeply personal. That is so much wisdom and truth in those few words you shared. I agree 100%. And Terrence, you know, to support Dream Factory, where can people find out more? Where, what are links they should go to? And I'll make sure to write some in the description. Well, they can, they can go to dreamfactory.com where we've got a ton of uh, great content. We talk a lot about no code and APIs and the, and the overall sort of space around integration. And you can connect with me on LinkedIn, which is just, you know, uh, first, first, last name. You'll, you'll find me pretty easily. Yeah, those are probably two best places to find me or find Dream Factory. Thank you, Terence. It was my privilege and my honor to have you here. I wish you success to raise awareness and the get a lot more mindshare for the Dream Factory brand so that people can benefit, can use and create APIs that are fully secure so that they don't need to sacrifice anything. And it's amazing to see the evolution and growth and innovation within the no-code community and low-code and code optional as well. Thank you again. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Aziz. <laughs>